so welcome everybody to uh, Football Coaches Australia, Football Federation Australia and Member Federation's uh, Zoom webinar workshop. Um, our guest presenters today are Gary Van Egmond, the Young Socceroos head coach, and Adam Barbera, the um, Young Socceroos and Ollie Roos uh, technical analyst. Uh, and the title of the presentation today is The Young Socceroos Pathway to Uzbekistan. Uh, originally 2020 championships, Gary might shed some light on when that might happen. Uh, it's the under 19, <laughs> under 19 championships, uh, which they had the qualifiers last year. Introducing our presenters tonight, uh, everybody would know Gary very well. Um, he's established himself initially as a player in the National Soccer League before moving overseas to play with Rota JC. Made his Socceroos debut in the 88 Seoul Olympics under Frank Eric and went on to have success with the Marconi Stallions in the 1990s where he won an NSL championship and played in three finals. Began his coaching career as a youth coach of Northern Spirit before he won the State League Grand Final on his return to Manly Warringah as head coach in 1999. Then joined the Breakers as assistant coach in 2001, became head coach in 06-07. The following year, uh, Gary guided the Newcastle Jets to second place in the league table and into the A-League Championships. He was signed at coach the Jets till the end of 2012-13, uh, but during that period in 08-09, accepted a position at the Australian Institute, and I got to know Gary quite well when we, the uh, players became residents of the Australian Institute of Sport um, and coached there uh, until October 2011 when he went back to the Jets. He was then appointed assistant coach of the Matildas and took over the role of the young soccer who's coach to begin for the qualifiers in November last year. Uh, Batman uh, with Gary is Adam Barbera. Uh, Adam is the FFA, te FFA technical analyst for the Yolo Roos and Young Socceroos. Uh, he's an experienced analyst with demonstrated history of working in the sports industry. He's skilled in the sports coaching, football coaching and performance analysis area. Also a member of FCA as a NPL coach, he graduated from the Australian College of Physical Education. Welcome to Gary and Adam, and uh, enjoy your session, guys. Thanks very much, Glenn. Um, hello to everyone. Look, uh, when I was asked to present something, I thought, well, what, what to do? Uh, what, what is a topic that is of some interest, possibly something a little bit different? And I thought it would be interesting for you all to have a look at the process of how a qualification tournament works in Asia. And, and obviously for the, the World Cup and, and looking to see how we qualified for a World Cup. And what is that beginning? How does that look? What, what are the, the processes and, and what are some of the, the issues that you might have and, and solutions that you have that, uh, that occur uh, across the tournament process? And so uh, hence I am here and we are going to present this. So first up, what happened, we had a look at the AFF tournament. The AFF tournament uh, occurred in uh, August, September 2018. And it was the first time for us to have a look at the group um, in, a, in a tournament. Uh, and what we actually looked at when we reviewed the group was how did we score goals? And we looked at how we scored goals. And basically what we have there, you can see from the graph, 
you have expected goals, which is on the left-hand side, and uh, the number of shots, okay? So from the perspective of the shots that you have, it should relate to the the, the number of shots that you've had, the, the number of goals that you score. And as you can see, we were pretty good in comparison to what we should have got, what we looked at in regards to what was perceived. And so we dug a little bit deeper and we sort of found out that realistically we scored more goals than possibly we should have because of the fact that um, some individuality by some of our players was extremely good. Uh, But again, it was more about the opposition and possibly the opposition goalkeeper in, in, in reality that allowed us to score more goals than possibly we should have been able to do, especially if we played against uh, a higher opposition. So we looked at this and we thought, all right, well, how can we now start to address that situation for upcoming tournaments that we, we know we're going to have? Here are some examples. So here we are. We're playing against Vietnam. And again, we can see there's a pass here to the left-hand side, but instead we're shooting possibly for an area which is a low percentage position of us looking to score. Again, we have a player on the left-hand side cutting in, and we can see there's two players centrally that possibly it could have been a better decision for that player to, to look to cross rather than to shoot. Again, we've got a two-on-two in the box, and with a ball that could have been played in behind that player, we then look to go back, but from that position, we're looking to try to score from 30, 30, 32, 30 metres out. So we looked at those decisions and we thought, we're getting the ball into decent areas, but are we actually looking to uh, choose the best solution or, or have the best decision? So we looked at what are best practices? So again, we have a look at the best players in the world. And we've talked about that area where we're looking at players to shoot from. But even in that area, time on the ball, forward runs, they're still looking to see how they can get into better areas to shoot. Here we have a player at the top of the box, more than likely could look to shoot. Possibly if we looked at our players, they would look to have have had a shot at that moment. But instead, they're looking for a ball in behind and again, looking to see how that ball can come across and to score from a better position. And again, from from an area, looking to see how we can cross into spaces of where there's a higher percentage of us looking to be able to score. The other part of this analysis was where they look to cross and where players look to run. And if you can see, we're starting to get a few trends here. The ball is not that wide, okay? At times, they are behind the the last line of defence. At times, they're in front. But you can see the positioning of the players centrally in the box where they're looking to get into the back of of defenders and create two-on-twos, okay? And again, balls into those areas. And you can see that box starting to pop up a little bit of where we're looking at players getting into that area and looking to see where they can receive the ball in those areas to score. And for the mainstay, it's, it's one touch. Here again, ball gets crossed in. And we can see good areas and looking to see how we can can score from from that area in in that central area, if you like, or in that box area, okay? 
So we looked at a lot of the best um, practices, if you like, best players in the world, best teams in the world, of what they were looking to do and how could we now translate that and transfer that into our practices and what would then start to become a little bit more habitual. So now we looked at certain zones and ads you can maybe talk through this one in regards to the percentages yeah for sure so um obviously the colors of the boxes that you'd see on the screen now are green yellow and the purple one um, even the red one will, would have been familiar with what you would have seen in the early eclipse um to give you a rough guide we uh looked at some data from generally the top five leagues in the, in the world. So England, Spain, Italy, France, Germany. Um, and there's a lot of interesting data out there um, about percentages of successful shots, successful crosses, um, and what makes up expected goals. So we looked at, at zones that we'd already identified before this research as, as good crossing zones. And what we came up with was those crossing boxes that you see are 15, 18, and 21%. They're zones that if a cross has come from that zone, it's a percentage or likelihood of a shot on target resulting from a cross. Um, the red zone uh, shows that there's no shot in that red zone, although it's at the edge of the box and maybe considered close to goal. Um, if you add an expected value uh, to any, of the, any shot within that zone, it's not higher than 8%. And really the only areas on the field which is more than 25% of expected goal value is within that blue box. Um, so we use that to sort of determine where we wanted to get um, the ball in our attacking patterns in terms of where we wanted to cross from um, and then also where we wanted to make runs from. Uh, we didn't discourage shots or chances from everywhere else on the field, um, but we just use this as kind of best practice to uh, – to sort of blend and to sort of push us forward to which way, how we want to attack. Um, are you finished with that, guys? you want to add anything to that or...? No, no, you're exactly right. And the, the most important part there is that we didn't discourage um, the, the players to express themselves in that front third, uh, but we did give them a guide so that they were in, in a position where they could see best practices, they could see... Uh, the, 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 the value or the effect of being able to cross from those areas. And, and the run that was made in the box was also paramount to the perspective of the cross as well. We also talked a lot about delivering first time. And a lot of the times that the ball was played into a position where the player crossed from first time, there was a lot of success as far as that was concerned, re-scoring goals or at least... Um, getting into a position where they could score from. So these were the, the trends and these were the areas that we discussed and we looked to see how we could then manufacture our training sessions to then start to encourage players to make better decisions. Yep. Part of the process also for us to select a squad and again, we're prior to, to leaving, um, or actually we're prior to leaving, to going to a camp. We then have uh, something which is a, a database, a monitor, of monitoring of players, and we're able to see then what the players are actually doing. So if you 
can understand that where we were looking last October, as far as the first qualification was concerned in, um, in Taiwan, the boys are now coming off MPL season. So we need to know what state they're in and we need to know uh, how many games they're playing, what type of training sessions they've been doing. Um, so we're in constant dialogue to ensure that we know the, the loads and the number of matches that they've been playing, which will then help us from the perspective of selection. And will also help us that if we have a player that we feel is a little bit underdone, that uh, we're able to compensate for that within our training environment as well so we don't break anyone. So, again, it's, it's a guide for us to ensure that uh, we know the player that's coming in, what physical condition that they're in, and also from the perspective of how many games they've they've played. Okay, so we've got this is just a little uh, snapshot of what we we get. Um, uh, our SNC uh, Tim Knight he uh, could go through this a little bit more in detail. But again, if you look at the top uh, where the load where you've got the load the the three stands for months, so that's three of twelve months. The, uh, again, that's one of twelve months. Uh, the game six games that's fifty two weeks, and then obviously you you can read the rest. And we there are comments that happen in the right hand side, so that coaching staff can make better decisions in regards to um, the the players in in what state they're in. Um, you want me to lead this one off, guys? Yeah, this is good. Yeah. Okay. So um, alongside our physical monitoring of players um, that's done by our medical and SNC department. Um, we also uh, need to, to, to watch video of players, both of, both of players that we're already in the squad and players that potentially may not be within our Young Screws extended squad, but um, maybe in the future. So uh, what's on the right is, so we use uh, a few external providers for footage. Um, one's Instat Scout. Um, which is a website where we can go on and, and get vision from all around the world, national teams, club teams, players. Um, within that, there's also um, stats and data, uh, team data and, and player data. Um, so it, our age group of players, it, they're right between being a first-team footballer and a youth-team footballer, which has challenges in terms of monitoring. Um, it's not like you can turn the TV on every every weekend and watch Louis Derigo play for Adelaide United. Um, he's a player, we can do that, but there's 25 players, we, they, we can't do that. So clubs are generally quite good in sending us vision, uh, especially overseas-based clubs where they don't broadcast their, their junior junior competitions. Um, we also have for Australian clubs, NYL. Um, as you know, NPL now is readily available on YouTube and obviously all our coaching staff go out live and watch NPL every weekend as well. Um, what we've got here again is an example of uh, a basic sort of overview page of Lewis. Um, again, he's a uh, central midfielder for the Young Scaroos. He's played nearly every game for Adelaide United this season in the A-League before the season uh, got postponed. So there's a lot of data there. There's a lot of vision um, and there's a lot of numbers in terms of we can dig in and see whatever we want to see, but we can go watch vision. Um, that should now change to an to a example of another young screw player, another midfielder, Alberto 
Il Grosso, who's playing um, in Italy. Um, and as you can see, there's no data there. And that's mainly because he's a youth team player. Now, up top, it has that he's playing for Inter Milan in their Primavera. Um, he isn't there. He's at a different club. He's at Cittadella, which hasn't been updated. So that's just an example of a challenge that we have in terms of monitoring our players um, through vision um, and how we rely on good uh, good communication and good good contacts with, with the clubs of these players to provide us with footage to monitor our players um, while they're not in a national team camp. Uh, Gaz, that's, anything yeah, that sort of probably leads me into the overseas contingency that's in uh, that, that's based overseas. So, if we look at Alberto, for example, um, and Alberto came with us to Taiwan, we were lucky enough to take Alberto to um, an Ollie Ruse camp. So we had an Ollie Ruse camp in Qatar, and he was able to uh, make that camp. So we were able to see Alberto and then we could make a much more informed decision in regards to him being included in uh, the next squad uh, through the, the abilities that he showed in that camp. Uh, someone like uh, Jacob Italiano, for example, uh, was also within the Oli Ruse and um, unfortunately we weren't able to, to call on to Jacob because of the club environment as well. So, you know, you've got a case where... He's a young player. He's he signed his first you know overseas contract with a big club in Germany. Um, there's an expectation that he needs to be within that uh, club environment. Uh, the Oli Ruse were going to select him for uh, obviously the the tournament in January for the qualification, and we then need to make a call uh, in regards to um, utilising Jacob or not, and. We made the call that we didn't utilise him because we wanted to ensure that the relationship with the club stayed uh, in a good position, especially from the perspective that we know that later on uh, in regards to uh, um, the harder qualification phases that are coming up, that we will need to possibly call on uh, Jacob and it may not be in a FIFA window. So you, you want to establish those uh, relationships, as, as Adam said previously, but you also want to be a little bit forgiving at times with the clubs so that when you do need to call on a player that you have had that relationship and they have known that you have looked to see how you could ensure that the, the player stayed at the club when it was possible. So, again, they were two of the, the overseas-based players. The O2s were in a position where they were preparing for a World Cup and we'd made the decision as a, um, as a national team unit, if you like, I spoke to Trevor and basically said, look, I'm not selecting any O2s so that it wasn't going to be a perspective that they got pulled from pillar to post, if you like. Uh, Trevor had the best opportunity then at a, you know, obviously with a World Cup coming up to ensure that that playing group um, was settled and um, had, had the one voice at that moment to ensure that they could do as well as they could um, and as we saw, they did extremely well at that at the World Cup. And uh, with that, we then knew that O2s and overseas players up until this moment were really uh, off the table. So we knew that we were going to go mostly with the domestic players and we were quite happy to go with the domestic players considering the intel and the evidence of what we'd seen from the opposition that we were coming up against as well. Questions? Uh, yeah. 
Yeah, okay. Gary Cole, could you come up, please, Gary, to ask your question? G'day, guys, uh, and thanks for coming on. Uh, just to go back to the initial slide there, the expected goals calculation, where, where does that come from? What, what, what information is that based on? Um, so we use a – so essentially to break it down quickly for you, we, we add a value from zero to, to one or to 0.99 um, of a – of a chance that a, that a shot will go in. So that data um, has been well punched and, and looked at from, like I said, usually top five leagues. Um, and there's many studies on that. So we use a – so Instat will provide us with an expected goal number. So after every game, they give us a report of our games. And again, they would add a, will add a, a percentage or a expected goal value to each shot, and then that will relate to our – expected goals value for that game. So just quickly in this graph, we have that first game, we won 5-1. Um, we had 15 shots, but our expected goals was only 2.5. So the quality of the shots we took within that game, although we scored five goals, um, probably weren't the highest quality in terms of the position of the shot. Um, was it a header? Uh, what was the lead up to that? So uh, that's probably a trend that over three or four games, you, or even longer, you don't want to have. Um, because that could be a game where the the keeper threw three in the back of the net. So um, I hope that sort of answered uh, that question. Yeah, yeah. thanks. Cheers. Uh, to you again, Adam, from Adrian Bate. Um, welcome, Adrian. Uh, just wanted to know where you find the data from other leagues and is it easily accessible? Um, yeah, thanks for, thanks for the question, Adrian. Uh, yeah, for sure. So, um, again, when it comes to specific data on our players and, and on our position and ourselves, we use, again, third-party or external um, providers such as Instat Scout, such as Opta, um, which is generally readily available uh, online. Um, yeah, so just go digging on the net. Um, we... We're constantly, especially myself and other analysts and many that do this would, would, would agree, we're constantly on the lookout online for, for any kind of information or football data. And that's probably something that's jumped exponentially um, in the last couple of years, how much data there is out there on our sport. So, um, but yeah, for sure, what we, what we use is pretty easily available online um, in terms of... Um, the non-paid subscriptions that we have within Stat and, and Opta, but you can certainly do what we do um, for free online if you look hard enough. Question from Simon Camilleri on Facebook. Welcome, Simon. Uh, having video analysis for all juniors to develop is highly beneficial. Should the Football Federation be helping clubs with accessing this as part of player registration fees in the interests of player progression? From anybody? Uh, look, I think uh, for young players to be able to see themselves play and train, I think it's a great benefit. Um, uh, I, I know that Huddle is used as a as a fairly um, common platform, uh, of which I'm pretty sure that there's a number of MPL clubs uh, with within that catchment and and are, are able to view that uh, vision back. Um, 
yeah, um, I think I'll uh, leave the registration part of it alone. Uh, but uh, from 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 a the, the perspective of looking to see how you can um, give feedback to a player, and it can be through vision. Obviously, there's different ways of learning, but that's a for, for the player to be able to see that is a huge benefit. Uh, question to you, Gary, from Mayor in Spain, and welcome again, Mayor, your regular attendee. I'm pretty sure you've asked the same question uh, on chat room as you have in Q and A. Um, he's asking Gary, as a former under nineteen national team head coach, we work very hard in the development of the capacities of attention and concentration of our defenders when they faced cross balls from the flanks. If you are working on these topics, what kind of work have you developed with your players? Yeah, I think uh, very much agree with you. Um, again, uh, it'll be as we go through the presentation, you'll uh, you'll see why we probably should have paid more attention to it. But um, uh, we we use a lot of times where uh, they're either overloaded. Uh, we use um, from the perspective of even from our passing patterns or our finishing patterns that there's a lot of hidden learning from the perspective of defenders uh, being in positions to to defend even though it's the focus might have been on on uh, on looking to see how we finish um, uh, and again from different areas uh, and, and and again from what you feel within the tournament that's going to be apparent as well so uh, with this tournament, we felt that there was probably going to be um, more issues on transition. So we did a lot more work on uh, having space in behind and how we nullify that uh, and then looking to see uh, how we look to, to pick up players um, in a central area uh, from, from crosses. But uh, it is it, you, you're spot on that uh, it is interesting to see a number of uh, the young players, uh, in, in particular the defensive players, how um, easy it is for them to lose a player or uh, to lose concentration at that moment. Uh, Ron, do you just want to come off mute, please, uh, just regarding your question regarding scoring inside and outside the box? Hi, guess. <clears throat> hey, Ron. Um, I'm interested in the research stuff and... Um, my question is, in terms of scoring goals, are you, are you conscious of the percentage that are scored inside the penalty area compared without? And does that influence the sort of strategic thinking about what to do when you're maybe 25, 30 yards out from goal? You mentioned something about it earlier, um, about making better choices. Um, when You gave an example early on. Um, so... Um, does that sort of form part of your planning process and the education of players? Uh, very much so. So from the perspective of what we then looked as at in, in regards to the camp. So when we then started to look at the passing patterns and the way in which we, we built up until the front third, um, we then were very conscious of where we wanted the ball to be crossed from and we're also very conscious of the runs that we wanted the players to make. And it wasn't explicit. There was quite a little bit, quite a bit of that where it was hidden, but then there was intervention when we felt that we weren't getting the runs in particular uh, on different angles and, and in different lines 
um, of where we had to to intervene to to correct that and to make it make them aware. Um, but again, we also did uh, we also set the field out so there was boxes and things of that nature, of which then there was a guide for them to look to see how they they could get into those areas to look to cross from. Okay, good. Um, if I could just ask one more question. <laughs> um, are you aware of the work that I did for my PhD or add as the analyst? Um, are you familiar with what I've done? Because I spent five years kind of researching goal scoring patterns. Unfortunately, I haven't been able to share it with people through official channels in this country. Um, I just wonder if you're aware of it. I knew you had done something on that, but I'm not, I wasn't a hundred percent aware of, of exactly what that was. No. Okay. That's all right. Okay. okay. Uh, so we'll finish there with the Q and A session after uh, tournament review and um, player monitoring. We now move on to the next section tournament pre-camp and the, Next Q&A will be on slide 19, so if attendees and panellists can uh, just be aware of that and have your questions ready for slide 19. Thank you. Thanks, Gary. Okay, so now we go into uh, the pre-camp as far as the tournament is concerned. Prior to this, we had a week in Newcastle, so that would have been possibly around the August mark, I think, ads, around that uh, time. A bit later, mid-late mid, September. A bit later. So that gave us a bit of an opportunity as well to have a look at those players that were, you know, playing MPL1, MPL2. Uh, you know, we had a couple of boys who were what I would suggest outside of the, the system, uh, playing in MPL1 clubs in Sydney. Um, so, again, from our scouting perspective, we were able to go and, and see these players and then invite them into uh, a camp which gave us some insight into some more players and and as we know the you know when with with young players it can happen very quickly in regards to them um all of a sudden uh, uh shooting off and and really looking to take off uh they, that may have been a light bulb moment for them at, at some stage or being in a position where they've trained with some some older players and got some more understanding from a coach from the general competition and training that they've been having for that, uh, possibly for that seven to eight months. So um, it gave us a real good opportunity to have a look at some of the players. And what we also had to take into consideration after that camp then was the opposition who we were then going to come up against. And we knew that we were going to come up against uh, Lao, Chinese Taipei and Macau. And for all intensive purposes, we're extremely happy with with the draw. Um, you know, teams like Vietnam can be very tricky. Uh, Malaysia, as we saw in the AFF tournament, uh, we we were defeated by them. Um, we, we know there's some some good teams, and there's a lot of investment going on in Asia. So we knew that uh, we felt that it was a it was a good draw. But the the problem that we now faced was the fact that we now had to try to get vision, in particularly of Laos, because they were our first game. When it's not the first game, you have the opportunity, obviously, to go and observe uh, and, and to video the, uh, the, the opposition that you're going to come up with and you get a better understanding, in particular because it's there and then. Uh, with Lau, um, the one thing that 
helped us a little bit. I was able to go and watch them in the AFF tournament in uh, in 2018 when they played Myanmar. Um, we defeated Myanmar and we controlled the game quite well, albeit it was only a, a 2-1 game. But um, they defeated Laos, I think, 1-0 or, or, or 2-1, something like that, and they, Myanmar basically controlled that game. And then we had to look to see how we could get uh, the footage. And so Laos not going to give you that footage. Uh, ads had to then network, start to work with uh, other football federations, i.e. Uh, Singapore. I think you got the footage from this one, Ads. So, yeah, again, Singapore it's about trading, trading games, uh, looking to see, as I said, setting up um, communication and, and, and contacts within the other federations. So it, it is a little bit uh, involved and I'm sure um, Ads can tell you a little bit more about the wheelings and dealings. I probably don't want to know about the games that got traded. Uh, but anyway... Um, that was the first part. So we need to find we needed to find that uh, the opposition vision so that we could start to plan. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. To hit, so Gary pretty much hit the nail on the head with all that. Uh, one thing I will add is just to reference the slide that we have up. So again, yeah, a lot of it is for the use of a better term, willing and dealing with other nations. Um, and like Gary said, that AFF tournament, which was in 2019, not 2018. Um, we were able to, again, they were in a different group to us, Lyle, um, but we could obviously go watch them play and we could also talk to their opposition and, like I said, trade video over to get direct, um, direct footage. Um, again, we can use uh, a provider like Instat that when it comes to youth tournaments, especially within Asia, they do a very good job in... in in finding vision. However, it is very challenging. Um, and, and the example I've put up there is of our three opposition teams within the AFC qualifying tournament where um, the first three games on those pages are obviously the three games that they play um, and we play. But then Lowell had three games from their fifth tournament, which was great. But Chinese Taipei and Macau, who although we could view them during the tournament, their latest games were two years old or a year and a half old or three years old. So, um, it, like I said, well, it's great. We have these providers that can give us vision. Um, it's, it's really, really just finding as much vision and information as we can. And, um, from all sources, from, uh, you know, YouTube of the Vietnamese, uh, football federation that uploaded the games that we had in AFF from, from all kinds of things. Um, but yeah, I hope that's a little insight into how we how we find vision um, and the challenges we have. Okay, so on us being able to be in a position where we've uh, seen the opposition, we then look at it and knowing also about uh, what we can do from from a load perspective, we then plan the week that we have with the players prior to going to Taiwan. So the championships were based in Taiwan. So we then wanted to look and you, we will uh, start back from the first game. So where our first game is uh, in, in Taiwan for the first game of the competition, we'll then work back and I'll work with the S&C person from that perspective, uh, re reload. And each of these sessions here will be based uh, on timings and, and, and load to a degree. Um, what I will add is that 
it's great that you have uh, a number of service providers and, and obviously you can see here with ads as, a, as an analyst. Um, you have physio, you have two physios as a head coach, you have uh, one to possibly two assistant coaches, um, goalkeeper coach, s and I've already spoken about. Um, so it's great that you get a number of, of service providers but you also have to manage them. And you have to ensure that you are not, as you can see, it could be pretty easy to be snowed under redata. So I have to be very selective in regards to what I want to have a look at because time is pretty, pretty precious when you're coming into tournament phase. Every session, you need to make sure that you hit, it, hit the nail on the head, okay? So in discussion with, uh, with the whole of the staff, we decided that once we'd looked at the vision and once we'd also seen what where we were from an AFF point of view, read the front third. We felt that the general trend of the games that we were going to play in Taiwan were ones of where we would be definitely having the ball a lot more than the opposition. We would be in a position where, you know, we'd probably face a number of teams which would would park the bus, so so to speak. And we then thought, well, if that's the case, we need to concentrate on those areas. Okay. So we felt uh, set pieces were going to be fairly important. As you can see, there's three sessions there during the week, uh, reset pieces. It wouldn't be the only thing we do as far as set pieces is concerned, but we know that um, the fact that we're going to have a number of fouls committed against us, that if we don't take advantage of set pieces, then um, that's one less way of us uh, exposing the opposition. So set pieces were extremely important for us. And uh, as you can see, the attacking patterns, crossing and finishing, uh, the, the, the pressing from the front third, um, transitional moments, they were, they were all very, very uh, important for us uh, for this week of, of, of training prior to us leaving to go to Taiwan. The other part that's very important for us is the cultural part. So again, the, each club, each team, however you want to uh, talk about it, is it's very important that there is a, a culture within our team. And um, we then started to look at the, the values of which the players came up with. It's very player-driven. Um, it's not uh, coach-driven. It's very much player-driven. And the behaviours in which we wanted not me as, as far as the staff is concerned, but the players themselves wanted to feel that they would then exhibit that this team would represent. So if we look at the, the, the behaviours that they chose, uh, the, the, the behaviours were accountability, uh, courageous and, and the team first. And that wasn't just about uh, a game, that was about them in, re in regards to when they wore this beautiful symbol here, that that's how they would behave. And if they're in an airport, there's a, there's a case that you're accountable. If you're in a position um, that you're buying something from a shop, you need to ensure that you best represent the, uh, your, your team, your squad, your country, the, the, most, uh, uh, the best way in which you most possibly can, and also about the field. So your accountability to the field, to training, to games, to each other, to coaching staff, and the players drove this, okay? We would be in a position where 
we would ask them questions, but the players were the ones who really, really drove the culture of the, of the team. And from these behaviours that the players chose, we then asked the players to um, select three players, three to four players, of which they felt best represented the team, read those uh, read the behaviours of of the squad of the of the team, and of those three or four players, I would meet with them every day, of which I would then discuss with them how things going. Um, you know, how's the mood with the team? Is there anyone I need to talk to? Is there anything going on that I don't know? Is there, you know, maybe one of the players has got something wrong with a family member, maybe the study, maybe. So there's a lot of areas outside of, of football as well that you need to ensure. And the players um, obviously talk to each, each other and we're able then to have a connection with all of the players to ensure that we know exactly what's what's going on and that we're in a position to, to help. With this, um, and we've already spoken about the monitoring, um, we're in a position where the monitoring was, was pretty poor. And when I say the monitoring was pretty poor, they were in a position where they didn't enter enough data for the mainstay of um, what happened in particular away from away from the, uh, from, from when, from the team environment. So when they're at their own club, it was a case of them being in a position where they, you know, have to still log in with us because as we've seen already for us to make, uh, a much better, uh, decision on selection, we need to know what's going on. And that's not only going to happen within uh, the, the squad formation or the, the team formation of when they're all together but also when uh, they're outside of that. And we could see that, um, you know, one of their behaviours is accountability and they had to become accountable for, for, for what they've done. So we had a good discussion about this, but it also set, set the platform not only for this uh, particular wellness table and, and for the data, but it also jigged their memory a little bit in regards to ensuring that they, they did represent the behaviours rather than, um, me having to remind them about something or other uh, or something else that had occurred, right? It was quite easy because it was, play, it was from the players that had already looked to put this data in. So it was a good, good way of, of getting that across and not having to talk about every single behaviour, okay? So that was part of the reason and, reasoning, uh, and, and, and the understanding of why we think that culture is very, very important. Okay, so uh, training preview meeting. So again, we, we've already discussed about um, ensuring that we don't waste time. So when we're looking at uh, a training session, or um, we we already look to ensure that we present that to the players, and they're in a position that they already know who's taking what part of the training session. Uh, there are some players that may be available. There may be some players that are unavailable but they have a good idea of what that training session is going to look like from an overall. And as I said, we don't want to uh, waste any time. Uh, you're in tournament mode. You have a week to prepare. You need every second you can to ensure that um, you get the maximum you, you most possibly can from each, each training session. 
So as you can see, that gives them an overall in regards to the minutes of the session. Then we'll give them uh, an idea of what that drill uh, or practice looks like so that they can see what is actually um, needed by, by them and they can go into the, uh, the practice being more informed so we don't waste so much time in that area as well. They know their positions if we're doing some form of passing pattern so that they already have got a good understanding of where they need to be rather than me reading it out on a sheet. They already know what their position is, where they need to be. And again, it's that accountability. And again, what teams they're on uh, from the perspective of, 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 a, of a game. Okay, so it, it's just being organised to ensure that they understand what the, the rules and regulations of, the, of a game may, may be and that we can go into it and there's a it's very smooth transition from one practice to another. Uh, we've already spoken about um, throw-ins. So again, uh, sorry about set pieces. So throw-ins were a big part of that. Um, Ads loves the detail about throw-ins. Uh, Ads, how many throw-ins in a game? I could, it can change, mate. It's dependent. It's not, and not the what would you, you think what, it is. Pardon, how many would you say it would be, Adam? Uh, it, it depends. Um, generally, our, our matches are in that 35 to probably 55 bracket Okay, um, for both ends. Okay, so if we look at that, the, the importance of gaining possession from each of those throw-ins, I feel is pretty vital. And again, we're talking about a tournament of where we can then get an edge. So we, we then went into having a look at certain ways of um, ensuring we, one, were able re to retain possession quickly, and two, we, we also looked at how we could nullify the opposition from the perspective of uh, creating opportunities from throw-ins, but also from the perspective of us uh, being in a position where we didn't have to run as much. If the player receives the ball, can play the ball out to the opposite side of the field, that's more high-speed running that we have to do. And that's the whole team. And if you times that by 30, well, then all of a sudden, that's, that's, that's quite a fatigue number on your, your playing group. So how do we limit that? So how can we be in a, in a better position? So we then had a look at... Uh, it's a different slide. Different slide? Oh, okay. Yeah. All right. That, so that, that was okay. We'll get into the into that. But again, we finish on um, uh, you know what our behaviours are. So there's a general reminder. So visually they see it. I don't have to say it. They see it. So there's a general reminder all the time as far as that's concerned. A again, there's a, an overview of of what we're looking at from the perspective of the. Um, the, the passing practice or the, the, the drill that we may be doing so they have a good idea of what that looks like. And then we go into the vision. And so the other part is how you present that. So here you can see it's a really good shot. It makes it easy for the players to be able to, to understand what is, is needed in regards to the passing practices that they're doing either one left or right, so they get a good understanding of what, what the passing practice will entail. So, again, as we've stated before, there's a smooth transition. 
Again, when we're doing passing practices, we look to see how we can start to implement uh, principles and habits. So again, we, we were very much about time on the ball. We're looking at forward runs. So again, looking at end zones, looking to see how we can get people moving the ball. And in this, there's a lot of, of habits from the perspective of getting side on, uh, scanning, uh, all of these areas of which you know, they need to, to ensure that they're doing within the game that we can then transfer from these passing practices into, into the real game and of, of which come to life. Again, we start to work with some mannequins so that they get a good idea of the runs that we're looking at. And if you can see now, we're in a position where we've got some of the, the areas on the field marked out. So that gives them a guide of, of where they're looking to see how they play. From the perspective of the passing patterns, fairly basic rotations of the eights or possibly the wide player coming in between. And again, looking to see how we can get players in different runs within the box. And again, as you can see, it becomes more habitual the more we do from the repetition. And we may be looking to encourage them from the perspective of scanning, body position, uh, ball speed, ball handling. Okay. So again, they're the types of cues that we'd be using from a coaching perspective and are looking to see where we, we cross the balls from different areas. Then we can go into, again, a little bit different from uh, a two ball game. We call this one a two-ball game. We, we actually got some information from Rene and saw some vision from what the Socceroos did. So we had a look at some of the areas of what they were doing and that gave us a few different ideas. So again, it's about <clears throat> one long ball coming in. And the reason why we wanted the long ball initially and with the player up there was because of what we'd already seen from the opposition of Lau. Okay, so we saw a lot of times that they're looking to see how they can knock a long ball from their goalkeeper who actually could really ping a good long ball. So again, how we pick up a second ball and play off that second ball. And then again, it's about the, the runs into the box, the cross is it first time, um, the areas that we're looking to, to cross. And again, the repetition of the players getting into those areas and looking to see how they can make the run or get used to the cross that is needed from those, from those areas. And from there, we developed, uh, you know, a, a, a more um, uh, 10v6 game. Again, limited opposition. Again, we're concentrating on the perspective of the, um, the, the opposition dropping, knowing that there's not going to be a great deal of space. And again, how do we break them down? So again, the changing of the point. When is the moment that we're looking to see how we can make a forward run with time on the ball? Who makes that run? Uh, and, and, and opposite then uh, looks to come to the ball. And again, we really wanted to move Lau because we felt if we just went down one side, they obviously could get very comfortable and it would be quite difficult for us to, to break them down once they could see which way we'd gone. So we needed to ensure that we move the ball from side to side, but with the plan of looking at any stage to play forward. So it wasn't about going backwards and sideways. The whole point was, can we shorten passes so that we're in positions of able to play forward and that gives opposition less time to be able to get back into position? And then it was about looking to see at times where we might not be get, get behind opposition, but that ball that's played from just outside the box where defenders, 
if you look at your back three, you're in a position where the right side stopper would be closer to the ball side. So can we clear that ball and can we start to look at those 2v2 options in behind? Um, and if there's a case that we start to drop, then is it a possibility that we start to play someone to feed who could face up and we're able to create more space for ourselves? So, again, it was uh, exercises to look to see how we could maximise what we felt we were going to come up against. Uh, within the training camp, and this just gives you a little bit of a, a, an idea, we get um, physical data, okay? So, again, um, this is a fullback. So, of that, we get a total distance covered within the session uh, or within a game. Um, uh, then, then we have a look at the high-speed metres or the high-speed distance metres between certain uh, speeds, so you can see uh, between 19.8 and 25.2 um, how much distance that the player covers and then above 25.2. And you, you nearly also player profiling each position to a perspective of what they can do physically. It's not the be-all and end-all, but it does help you in regards to the way that you want to play. If you have a fullback, for example, who makes three runs and then is completely out on his feet. Well, he's really not going to be the type of fullback who's going to help you um, with the way in which we wanted to play at, with our fullbacks getting forward. So we have to also combine that with what is the out, output uh, from that fullback once he does get into the front area. Does he, is his cross good? Is his decision-making good? What, what, a, what, what does he actually do with the ball when he gets into those areas? Um, so again, that just gives you a little bit of an idea of what we look at from uh, the physical data to ensure that we know, um, where the players are and, and what their output is as per a game or a, or, or a training session. Okay. Back to questions. Okay. From Peter, um, on Q and A. Uh, what percentage of time is spent observing players in real time as opposed to relying on data when it comes to selection for tournaments? So you're talking about uh, us observing players? At games, actually. At games. Yeah, look, uh, it's, as, as you can probably uh, see, it's quite difficult to get to all the games. I mean, we're talking about a national team. So you've got uh, Victoria, South Australia, Queensland, New South Wales, are probably the three biggest areas of where we, we get our most of our players. Um, again, uh, being able, I'm, I'm based in Newcastle, so I'm able to get to the, the New South Wales games quite a bit. Um, uh, we're in a position that we can get uh, footage on huddle from um, uh, the other teams. So we're able, I'm able to watch all of the MPL games of all of the different states, which is fantastic for us. Um, and then if it's possible and it won't happen all the time, but I, I take a trip to, to Queensland, I take a trip to, uh, Victoria slash South Australia, where I'm in a position, um, where I might get a weekend to go and watch players live. Uh, and that might happen once to two times annually. Uh, Mayor, I believe I've just, uh, upgraded you to a panelist, so you can actually ask your question live if you want to, I've just unmuted you, if you want to ask your question in regards to statistics.
You there? Okay, I'll ask on his behalf. Uh, just at uh, Mayor was just uh, asking what you think about this statement uh, to, to either Adam or Gary. Uh, statistics is just part of a whole, a tool, but statistics shouldn't be the main reference to our work as coaches. Absolutely, it's it's just a guide, and for us, it's uh, it's a it's a an informed guide uh, of which we can have a look at what best practices are, and those best practices are exhibited in the top leagues around the world. And when um, statistics or data corresponds to best teams practices, I think that's something that you need to notice. I think you've got to also take into consideration of what your team is capable. So everyone looks at it and goes, wow, whew, want to play like Barcelona. Yep, but you don't have the players for Barcelona. And the other important part from our perspective at this moment is also the age. And we have to be very conscious of the, the young men, uh, young, young professionals who are looking to establish themselves and uh, ensuring that it is, it's not robotic. It's, it's still a case that they have enough freedom and they also have enough responsibility uh, to ensure that um, they, they get the, the ownership of, of, the, of the team, both on and off the field. Uh, Ron, you might just want to follow up that in regards to your comment on stats. Um, <clears throat> yeah, they're a guide. Um, I did put a, a reply on there. I said that sometimes knowledge about what happens generally, like the ratio of goals from attempts at goal has been 10 to 1 since the 50s. Um, there were 1,076 attempts at goal in the last World Cup and there are 100 goals scored in open play. That's attempts in open play, that is. So it's still 1 to 10. It was the same in the Women's World Cup. Um, so the point I was making is that if you suddenly score five goals from 10 attempts and you've got a one to two ratio, you know that's a one-off. That ain't going to happen every week. And there'll be times when you'll have 10 shots and won't score, you know, because over a season. So that's the benefit of having knowledge about what generally happens in football. Yeah. And as you say, Gaz, it's just a guide. Yes. Uh, yeah. Just while you're there, Ron, just uh, your question on the black yeah. and green chart. Yeah, on the, on the last uh, chart, Gaz, where you had um, the amount of time spent in the different speed zones, on, on the bottom one on one day, you had training and game. Can you just explain, was that meant to be a game component of your training session. So like at the bottom where you've got your very high speed. So where are we, Ron, on the... Uh, 25.2 Ks and over down the bottom. Any one of those right. you've got a black and green bit. Yeah, I, th I think um, that's a warm-up. That game well, Ron. component of training. I think that's the warm-up on a match day. That isn't oh, calculated. I, I think, I'm not too sure. Yeah. But I think that's a... Um, or, yeah, I'm pretty sure that's a yeah, one in the match there. I'm not too exactly sure. Right. It's probably um, Tim could probably answer that. Yeah, but. He, I, I'm, I'm not 100% sure. No, that but I'm pretty sure that would be right. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Thanks. Gary, clarification. <laughs> thanks, Ron. Gary, in terms of your training, opposition and game previews and reviews, do coaches and analysts sit down together to prepare these or does Adam complete and present to you the coaches? 
<laughs> it depends uh, how much uh, freedom people get. But again, it, look, it's it's all in consultation. Okay, so not only obviously with the analysts, but with the other assistant coaches as well. So what would happen is that we'd say, all right, we'll meet in, and you know, we 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 meet in a room, and uh, we'll then go through what we feel is important for for ads. He might be he's he's in a position where he's um, uh, videoing a game or videoing a training session, and I might turn to him and say, mate, just make sure we get that because something has happened within a, a training session, or one of the assistants has, has said that, and so we're able to review. Uh, the training sessions, uh, a lot of the times I'll look at the footage, assistant coaches will look at the footage, Adam will look at the footage. But the most important part is the fact that um, we all understand the principles and and the, the habits of what we're looking at from the, the team and so that when something actually happens well or if something that doesn't help happen so well, we're able to ha- make a note of that. And then when we compile the, the presentation, obviously that's – through Adam because from a technological point of view, he's uh, somewhat superior to me. Okay. Uh, from Sam on Facebook. Welcome, Sam. Uh, how much do you liaise with the coaches of your players whose club teams are in the NPL to make sure they continue getting what they need in terms of development? Yeah, and, that's an... And yeah. I'll just finish off. And their week-in, week-out environment isn't detrimental to them achieving their national team ambitions. Yeah, that's a, it's an interesting question, Sam. I mean, I, I can have a perspective of how I want the game played and from from the, the way in which, you know, the principles of, you know, is it a case that we always play out regardless? You know, team set up, they're going to press us off a goal kick and we're not great, for example, the keeper is not great with his feet and his decision-making, but, you know, I'm going to play out. We're all going to play out. You've copped three goals. Is that what you want? All right. So that's, that's something where you have to be in a position. Uh, and why I'm saying that is that when we look at a player from a club, it's not our responsibility, how we train that player. It's the club's responsibility. Now, how the, the player plays and what he's doing will then determine if he gets selected. Once he's selected, we can then also, so for example, I've watched games uh, in, in regards to players within the NPL, but I'm not talking about the way in which they play. I'm talking to them in regards to possibly the data that I've been able to receive or, um, you know, some a lot of it's very positive talk uh, with them. It's not about a style of play of what a club is doing because that's not our, that's not our job. That's not our role. Our role is to select the players that we believe is going to be the best uh, players to bring to life the principles and habits that we want within this team against the opposition that we're looking to uh, to play. And it's it's very important that we keep, keep that in check. Uh, thank you. And uh, last question uh, from Law Ra. I hope I've pronounced that correctly on Facebook. On the issue of live video, how do you monitor kids in the regional areas that have been identified as potential candidates for a camp and how do you maintain awareness of their progression? Uh, kids in the regional area, at our level, there would not be many, if any. Okay, so when we're talking about young Socceroos, uh, we'd be looking at NPL and uh, A-League 
and overseas. From a regional point of view, uh, that's probably more with Trevor uh, when they're a little bit younger, 14, 15, I would have thought, uh, 16 possibly. But um, it's still a case that, you know, uh, you would imagine that if you're a decent player in a regional area, at some stage you're going to need to relocate to a a metropolitan area uh, um, to to continue your development. Uh, If it's okay, you mentioned Trevor just on how he might monitor regional. Trevor, you're just there. Do you mind answering that question if you are monitoring young guys in the regional areas? You got me there? Yep. Yeah, look, uh, um, yeah, definitely we're trying to. I think um, uh, the point Gary's making is definitely there's a natural progression towards um, uh, either the A-League clubs uh, or or other NPL structures, Um, and most of them are also doing their own scouting in regional areas. Um, I think we we can always do a better job of our tentacles reaching further out into into country areas. Um, So... You know, for example, the National Youth Championships is, a, is an opportunity for country and regional players to be noticed at a tournament. Um, we need to do that more often with, with the elite matches, have more country kids coming into the elite matches so they can they can actually perform against uh, city-based players. So, yes, it is part of our process, um, and, and I agree fully that by the time they're 17 or 18, they haven't started to move towards a professional club, um, they're not going to get the daily, the daily dose of football that they need to have. Thanks, Trev. Okay, Adam, you've uh, you've assured us there's only going to be a bit of injury time, so back to you, man. Well, I'll move forward. <clears throat> so this is into our our qualifiers that backed on from our camp in the Gold Coast, our pre-camp. Uh, Gaz, do you want to jump? Yeah. On? So again, we looked at uh, we have a look at the weather and um, we 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 see what is happening, and as you can see, it's fairly consistent. The other part that we were able to do was we got some good intel from the, the national team, from the Socceroos, because uh, they, they played a, a qualifier against Chinese uh, Taipei uh, fairly um, uh, just before that we were, we were to play this tournament. And we already found out that the, the training facility, as that doesn't look too bad, that's giving it a, a, a huge uh, uh pep up if you like in regards to the quality of the field the quality field was pretty poor and you know we then have to decide then when do we look to travel (coughs) taking into consideration what the travel is going to be so in this case we uh we we had to travel through hong kong so from brisbane where we were based in our camp we then left to go to hong kong and then from hong kong we flew to taiwan so that took us approximately 17 hours so we left at 5 30 in the morning so we then thought to ourselves, well, what day do we leave? And working back and in consultation with uh, the assistant coaches and the SNC, we decided that um, we wanted to limit our time in Taiwan, knowing that the fields are not so good. Obviously, uh, we had enough acclimatization, uh, really the difference of hours. So I think it was only a two to three hour difference. Um, and we felt that that was the, the best time for us to, to look to go was uh, three days prior. Is that right? Yeah, three days or four days prior. So we left at 5.30 a.m., arrived at 9 p.m. Okay, so from there, 
we then, again, kept with the theme of what we needed from the perspective of our training. Uh, and, of course, now load uh, becomes important, as does uh, the actual sessions themselves of, of what we're looking to, to concentrate on as well. Uh, why qualifying is so important. Okay, so again, it just shows you the exposure that junior players get um, and then from there looking to see how they transfer from being a, a young Socceroo to a, a, an Oliru and then obviously to a Socceroo. And there you can see the, the, the figures of when teams um, were successful uh, to make a World Cup, of how many of them have then... Uh, gone on to become a Socceroo and the percentages. It's probably a little bit uh, false. Maybe the 2014 one uh, starts to come into play a little bit, but you can see that the older older players there, and there's a probably a little bit more of a percentage with the older players there in 2009, but you can see the consistency of making a World Cup and the exposure of inter major international tournaments that that gives players, one, uh, from a development point of view, but two, from a scouting point of view and how many players are then scouted within World Cups and have the opportunity to go and play in uh, much bigger leagues overseas uh, is extremely important to the development uh, of that individual player. Here's the qualification of how this worked. So uh, we actually finished top of the group, as you can see, but. Um, there was, a, there was five teams that were in a position where they were able to um, uh, fill, a, fill a position in the under-19 AFC that was going to happen this year in October, but we're still unsure if that's going to occur. But as you can see, uh, Laos were one of those teams on seven points, Vietnam, Yemen, Uzbekistan's the host, so it, it, that really didn't come into calculations, and Cambodia. What's really interesting is that you can see some of the teams that didn't qualify. So you look the fact that China didn't qualify. They've been knocked out into the first phase. North Korea hasn't qualified. Uh, UAE is actually another team which has had less points, uh, didn't qualify. Uh, Jordan hasn't qualified. And these are uh, a nations which have got quite a bit of pedigree within the AFC. So it's, it's very difficult to, to qualify through Asia. And even though we looked at this first um, qualific qualification stage, it still has its pitfalls and we know that it's, it's, a, it's a difficult process. And uh, there are no easy games in Asia. The amount of money that's being invested in Asia is, uh, is, is a lot. Just prior to this tournament, we found out that Laos had a three-month in-house camp. So they were together for three months prior to this, this tournament coming up. So again, uh, it's just to give you a bit of an idea of what is actually going on in, in Asia and how, how it isn't just a fait complete of, of, of going to these tournaments and making it. You want me to start this one off, Gaz? Why not? Okay. So um, what we want to sort of show here is our, our match day process um, in terms of a, a technical staff um, during a game. So... Obviously, everyone sees the coaches on the bench um, and, and the other staff. And, and the photo we have up here is of a of our soccer is qualifying in Canberra, I believe it was, where you have 
Arnie, Rene, uh, Vidi, Clarky, sort of the whole coaching staff over an iPad. Um, and and it probably shows over the last, I think it's 18 months now, uh, since the last Women's World Cup, um, where the change to the FIFA laws of the game came in, which you're allowed to have um, also comms, um, so communication devices from the from Reverend the stadium to the bench and also um, and video. So our, um, in a nutshell, our setup is I'll be um, at the top of the stadium with often uh, another staff member um, who would be helping me. In big tournaments, we may travel with a second analyst or with the Socceroos, they do. Um, we, although we there's opportunity for us to, to, to get uh, a TV, uh, TV broadcast footage of our, so, some of our matches, we obviously always uh, record and capture our, our vision in a wide angle or in an in a angle that's suitable for us. Um, so this is happening live during the match. This is We're live capturing onto our, onto our computers. Um, we run SportsCode um, through the FFA. Um, and then from my computer and from where I am at the top of the stadium, um, I am commed up. So me and Gary share a radio. Um, where we can constantly talk. Um, that's probably different to most uh, football or most benches, um, where usually the assistant coach may may be the one that's mic'd up. But but Gary, he'll probably go into that why he f- feels it so important that he's mic'd up. Um, and then we also have an iPad on the bench uh, running Huddle Replay, which everything that I'm coding and I'm capturing on my laptop is sending down to the bench, and I can I can put out clips, specific clips. Um, for the coaches to watch. So, for instance, if it's five minutes into a match and we expect the team to play a certain way, they play with two holding midfielders and they're playing with one and it's causing any, us issues, we might show that. I might say, look, look at this clip. And and often coaches on the bench will see the picture and then they'll query it with me. And Gary will often see a picture and go, I think I'm seeing this. And I'll be like, yeah, 100% that's going on. Or I'll be like, no, maybe this is, this is what's happening. And then we can also use the iPad um, to, to, to justify or to further to have further information of what's what's going on. So um, that's a sort of brief uh, run through of how we run uh, a match. Uh, I'll probably add to that, and we'll touch on it a bit later. How we how we work through halftime, um, and the fact that me and Gary and and myself and, and the techn- and the coaches on the bench uh, are in constant communication. Uh, what that means is that. During the first half, we obviously have a theme of how the game will go. Gary's already talked about how we thought Lau will play and how this kind of opposition will play and, and how we thought we would approach this tournament. Um, but there might be moments in a match where, where Gary might really want to show or have another look at a certain clip or a certain phase of the match during halftime. So by being calmed up, he can go, look, our pressing isn't good enough. Make sure we have three pressing clips to review at halftime. Um, where previous to this, well, we didn't have a, a link, um, a comms link from the bench to the analyst at the top of the stadium. Um, that, that process still happened, but it was just a lot harder and it took a lot longer. Um, I think that sort of touched on for me, guys, if you want to add anything to that. Yeah, look, the whole basis of it is, is, a, is a process to be effective. So again, it's, you know, and Adam's just touched on it, why, why am I hooked up as far as myself to the to Adam, the analyst, because um, my assistant coach is in a position where they're looking at set pieces. And as you can see, I think you can see Tony Vidmar just there. He's head down. He's actually probably looking at 
a replay of a set piece of what has occurred at that moment and um, they're able to review why they didn't make first contact, who wasn't picking up. So at set pieces, you can get that replay and it's very involved. Set pieces are extremely involved because then the next part is if we're making a change, the player who's coming on needs to know their role. They need to know the person who's coming off, whether it's a straight swap, are they going to take someone else's player? How else are we going to mark? It's extremely involved as far as an assistant coach is concerned for the, for a change or for what's going on in the game. That's why I'm mic'd up. So I can have constant uh, communication with Adam. So it's direct. I'm not going through an assistant coach. I'm not taking him away from his focus. I'm in a position that I can make that change and I can come back and discuss with the assistant coach if there's something I feel I need to, to, to discuss. The other part that you don't see there is the S&C person is live coding from the perspective of high-speed meters. So we'll have thresholds for our players within, um, within the team and we'll know when they're starting to get towards the red zone that we know that uh, he's not going to last the match. With the way that things are going, he's not going to last the match. So we either have to t- start to talk to that player, listen, just do your defensive style, side of things, adjust his game a little bit, make sure he's in a position where you know he's not making as many forward runs or we start to talk about um, the way in which uh, um, another player will come on. We know that he's got approximately, you know, five to 10 minutes to go. And again, that's the coach's eye. Quick discussion with him possibly on the side. Quick discussion with possibly someone to get a message to that player to see how they're going. And then we're in, we've got a much more informed decision of why we're making that, that substitution. Obviously, from the effectiveness of the game, that, that counts paramount. But it's just another area of where we can get a benefit, a, a one to five percenter, to ensure that you know we we're not leaving a player out there too long, or we're not ta- or we've taken a player off too early. So from from just from the physical, um, so that's the the reason why we we have the comms, and it's and it's important because of the fact that we're we're playing three games. And you have to make sure that you're effective in each of these games. And that's your process, obviously, that you're talking about, re all of your training, your selection, but game day. What are you doing game day? How do you, how do you affect that game? It's so important. It can't be a case that we're now going to review it and we've lost and now we're out of a tournament. It's there and then. And that's, it's important for us to be as informed and as, as organized as we most possibly can to ensure that we get the maximum amount of ourselves re that game because we need to get the result and we need to ensure that we're doing as much as we can to ensure that we do get that result. And that result isn't necessarily a win. Obviously the winning is very important for us, but it's the way in which we're doing things. Okay. So again, this is about um, opposition analysis, how we, we analyze the opposition Okay, so we start to talk about how we'd look to press. So again, we get clips of the opposition, start to show them. We then go into throw-ins, all set pieces, obviously, from the perspective of how we're going to set up. And we give them then a clip to show them what Lau did and how we can uh, counteract that. And then we look at our building ups as far as their opposition is concerned. For the mainstay, they looked to drop, so there wasn't an issue. We give them 
we also give them examples of world best practice. And the best team I've seen in the world is the American women's team as far as throw-ins are concerned, how quickly they get to a throw-in, how quickly they find an, op- uh, an opportunity to catch opposition out. Uh, so to give, again, the, uh, a good example of uh, what a, 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 an attacking throw-in can look like. And then we talk about mentality because you need to make sure that they're switched on and to give them an example of how we talk about being ruthless, being on the front foot, especially with this type of opposition, looking to make sure that we take the game to, to them, looking to see how we can score first um, and, and to dominate the game and have the momentum of the game going forward right from the beginning. And then we talk and again about our behaviours. We show trends. Again, we look at it. It looks terrible and I hate that way. But again, from a mentality point of view, the ball went forward. We're looking from here. It's a set piece. It's Now we're looking to utilise our press to score something from. So again, we've got really good intent. And because of that intent, we make our own luck. We pick up second balls. And within a minute, we've scored. Now that happens because of the mindset and the way in which we approach the game right from the beginning. If we're in a position that, yeah, okay, we get the ball, we, we, we knock the ball back to the, to the keeper, we then look to build up, there's nothing wrong with that if that's what you want to do. But from our perspective, we look to see how we can get on the front foot as quick as possible and look to put the opposition under pressure, okay? We're now in a position where uh, it's our first game there's a lot of nervous boys because they now feel that there's something a little bit on the line. We haven't tried to encourage that nervousness. We've tried to relax them as much as possible. Knowing that there was a number of boys, it was the first time that are going through a qualification process. Um, so it was important for us to try and take that, that pressure away. Okay. Uh, and so We still talked about ensuring that we stayed on the front foot and the mentality was right, but this was the kickoff from from Lau. So again, straight away, we've let the ball bounce. We've seen um, they're in a a position where they've they've knocked the ball forward straight off the the kickoff. Their intent has been uh, to get on the front foot, but we've allowed the ball to bounce. And now all of a sudden, we're in a position where the momentum is already with them. Okay, we we haven't... uh, dealt with it defensively, and we've looked fairly haphazard in regards to our recovery run to get onto the ball. So from there, they start to play forward. And this isn't straight away. This is after 20. This is after how long was that, Ads, that goal came? After about? Yeah, about, about 15, 20. Um, about 15. About, control, to be fair. Yeah, about 15 minutes. So that ball came across, left back, a little bit sleeping, not picking up a little bit what uh, Mayor has just talked about in regards to uh, balls being crossed from the opposite side. And uh, he scores a great goal. I don't think he'll score another goal like that, but it was a good goal. Uh, he took it well and we're down 1-0. So now we're playing and we're dominating the game. And now all of a sudden my centre-back decides to go through feet. Player gets the other side. The one thing that the players are in Asia are very street smart in comparison to some of ours. Last man, he's sent off. So now we're down to 10 men. So we look at it and now all of a sudden from this process, just 
I don't know if you can pause it, Alex. But from this process, now we're in a position that my assistant coach and the goalkeeper coach are already starting to talk. What do we need to do from a tactical point of view? What do we need to do from a possibly a system point of view? Um, and also from a personnel point of view. Okay, so we're already starting to talk about that. And uh, we're, we're looking at it. And at the moment, we, we still engaged um, uh, a 4 4 1. So going into a 4 2 3, if you like, from an attacking and releasing, obviously, uh, fullbacks and, and one midfielder. And the principle for us is always having plus one at the back. Okay, so we're down to 10. We made a change. So we brought a center back on for a midfielder. And now all of a sudden, the keeper loses control, ball gets played across, and now we're 2-0 down. So we're now looking at that, and that's probably around the 35th minute, 40th minute. Yeah, yeah, it was between the 30th and 35th minute, yeah. Okay, so we're 2-0 down, and we're going into half time. These are our stats, and I haven't seen these stats, but Adam calculates these stats in particular for the review. But we can see that our shot location is very poor in comparison to Laos. Uh, shots on target, poor. Penalty area entries, a lot more. Uh, we haven't done anything from pressing, and that was because they decided in this game, they just went long every time from the goalkeeper. So there was no opportunity to, for us to, to gain any advantage from our pressing. Uh, and then the possession in possession progression from playing out, playing out to control, we can see that we're higher than, than them, but the, the left-hand side where we see the shot location, we can see that we're not getting a great deal in, in those areas, whether that's from the perspective of the decision-making of the ball or the run of the player or the action of the player um, or, or a combination of, of all three, we're still in a position where it's not great. So, we then started to look at some of the things that were positive, knowing that we were 2-0 down, and we're starting to talk about how we need to change something. Because if you remember the slide and you looked at the slide where you saw the, the teams that qualified, we need to get something out of this game. If you don't get something out of this game, you're going to rely on having to be uh, a team that comes second with a high goal-scoring uh, ratio, okay, from for and against. And that's, that's an area you don't really want to get in. So we felt to ourselves, well, how are we going to get into this game? So the, the process for this with the halftime, the halftime run, run sheet, sorry, let me, let me um, qualify that. This is normally what our halftime run sheet would look like, okay? So again, 40th minute through bench comms, we're having, I'm having a chat with uh, ads, problems, things that are positive we're also looking at. So we're, we're talking about what clips would look re, uh, good for the players to have a look at, okay? Uh, ads heads, uh, heads down to start to prepare the, the video and um, get things organized as far as the, the room is concerned. So to, to, to ensure that we can have no glitches of when the players come in. The referee blows for half time. Technical staff meet with the analyst and discuss which clips we're going to look at. Ads would probably have five to half a dozen. And then for myself and the staff, we'd probably pick three. And three is going to be plenty in, in a halftime talk. As we're actually talking, what's really important is that the players are receiving 
um, a review from our medical staff. So they're not waiting and they're not sitting there thinking, oh, when are the staff coming in? It's a case that they're being occupied by the medical staff to ensure that they've got enough, whether that's hydration, whether it's a rub they need, whether it's a knocker they've had, whatever it might be, they have that first three to five minutes within the medical staff. So that's always something that occurs. Then after that, I present the clips, which takes 10 to 12 minutes of what I've been talking about. Maybe less use of tactical board may come into play as well. All players are in the video room to watch, including uh, um, uh, subs. Uh, and that will also depend on the size of the change room. But if not, the, the most important part is the 11. And then we also allow a little bit of time at the end for possibly grouping of back four, midfield, front third. Um, obviously, the goalkeeper coach wants to have a chat to his, his keeper and also um, individual change, uh, discussions with, with uh, coaching staff as well. Okay? So that's the process uh, that we, we utilise. Um, so this is the clips that we showed and also the fact that there was some real positivity about what we did. We knew that we, they, they'd scored two goals, okay? We knew that they'd scored the two goals. I didn't need to show the two goals, all right? That was already done. What we did need to show was that how the ball didn't get out to the opposite side quick enough, okay, at times that we came back through our centre-backs rather than going through midfields. Okay, time on the ball, where are our forward runs at this moment? All right, it's good that someone's received the ball, but don't go into feet. But there was some decent football there. So we tried to make sure that what we did, there was some positivity about it. Because if we didn't, then there would have been more pressure put onto the, onto the kids. Again, it's a good ball. There's your forward run. And now, is it a case he could have possibly um, looked at that first time? He does. If he's on the opposite side, we talk about possibly anticipating the run to get in front of your defender, maybe there's a good opportunity there. So again, some, some positivity as far as the, the clip is concerned. Good early release by the keeper. Again, person's gone into the pocket. This time's coming into feet so they can face up. Switch of play. And then we might talk about, um, a, a, again, from the perspective of their first touch, just concentrating on your execution, concentrate on your touch at times, but you the, the idea of what you were doing was very good. So it, there was a, a lot of positivity for us to try to ensure that they felt less pressure. It was really important. And again, more forward runs, time on the ball, uh, and, and just more so talking about that last decision in that front third, of which we already had, had focused so much on it. We didn't want to do so much. And talking about, again, what, you know, sometimes we're getting into a position where we're, uh, where we're man on man. And if we look at the, the player on the far side, we could be a 3v2 that we're against. So we need to have some discipline on that transition. We need that plus one, okay? So it's important that we, we, we start to look at those areas as well because these were the areas that realistically were the ones that hurt us uh, quite significantly. So we looked at it and we started to talk about what do we need to do? So. The curriculum went out the window, okay, and uh, we looked at it and, and I uh, discussed with Patrick Swanswick, what do you think? We discussed about the fact that we went with three at the back and the reason why we went with three at the back that we, there was a, a, a plus one and they were, were really looking to go with the, the two. 
The other part of that was that we flattened out three in the midfield because they had a three. And if we played a designated 10 or our nine is there, for example, that would bring another player back. What was very important was our two strikers on the outside of their centre-backs so that the full-backs were in a position that they felt responsible for those players at times. So we had basically three players making sure that five stayed back and that we're in a position that the, the three midfielders and the right midfielder was a little bit lopsided of where we tended to play that person as a wing-back. We made, we made a change and we looked to see how we could overload that, that right-hand side a, a little bit where we felt we could get some, some, some joy. But uh, that's what we decided to do from a tactical point of view and we had to be able to get that over to our players that, that we didn't concentrate so much on the, the change of system. It was still our game. It was still the way we wanted to play. It was still the same principles. It was just a case that now some of the players had different roles and responsibilities at moments. And that was what was more important for us to get that across. And that's what we, we did at halftime. And we did it very uh, calmly. There was no panic. Um, you know, the players went out very informed from what uh, was needed in the second half. A uh, few individuals asked questions and we were able to uh, 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 answer their questions and ensure that they went out into the second half with a good mindset. But as we spoke about, what's really important, um, oh, sorry, with a good uh, base of knowledge of what they need to do, but was also very important as far as the mindset was concerned. So here's our kickoff. And so you can see the, the difference in the way in which we approach this game. Straight away, ball going forward. Real intent. And this is straight off the kickoff. And again, we nearly score off, score off that moment. Okay. And you can see picking up that second ball. And here we are on a transitional moment. It's not on, turn back out, opposite side. So we kept on playing the way we wanted to play. Still look to keep the ball moving. We weren't going route one. We still felt this about just pause. So you can't pause. So you can see the, the two of us, the two players pinning back the four, which was important. But what we needed to do was also get our 10 connected to our front two. So there wasn't as much space. Here the 10 should be making a, a more of an effort to get himself forward. So again, we started to get behind them and get some, some joy in regards to some balls getting played back across the box in good areas. Now we just needed to make sure we started to see the runs. And again, you can see that four back, right-sided player looking to see how he can get forward. And we were lucky enough or not lucky enough, we worked hard to, to uh, earn a penalty of which we missed. And so you looked at it and you thought, well, this just isn't going to be our day. But you have to keep working. And again, those behaviours, what you've done, how you've ensured that you've instilled that into your, into your players, how they've instilled that to them themselves. Time on the ball, just in, on, the, on the shoulder of the fullback. And it's a good ball forward. And in this time, the 10 does look to see how he can make that run forward. 
and it's a good goal. So again, we're able to get that. And what's really good also is the intent and we get that, that ball back. And then we talk about the set pieces and why we did dedicate so much time to the set pieces. And we're able to score from uh, a set piece, which then enabled us to get a draw with Lau and overcoming the, obviously the issues. And now if we can start to see the, um, the, the stats from the game, you can see in the first half how Lau controlled more of the game, and in particular from that 15th, 20th minute when we had a player sent off, the goals, where they came from, um, and what we did in that first half in comparison to the second half where we had a, uh, where we had a, a man down for the whole of the, the second half, but you can see how much we dominated that, that game. And in regards to the amount of penalty areas that we were able to secure, shot location, shots on target, second half will, will by far the more dominant. Adds anything you want to add? Uh, no, not really. Um, I think you covered it all, covered it all there, guys. Um, I'm sure people might have some questions maybe of what all these numbers mean and we might get asked them a bit later on. Okay. And then it was we played Macau. Macau were uh, the weakest team there. We, we went on then to, to dominate that game. What we had to look at was that we knew Macau was going to be poor after watching Macau play against Taiwan. So uh, we were able then to rest the number of players that we needed to rest and ensure that the game against Taiwan, uh, we were in a, in a position where we could play our, our strongest team. So from a load and remembering you only get one day off and then you play the, the, the next day. So it was important that we did that. And then in the last game, uh, we, we played our best game um, against Taipei, who were probably a stronger opposition than, uh, than Lau or a little bit unlucky to, to lose against them. But uh, when we played them, as you can see from, from the stats, how dominant we were in, in comparison to them. And then again, we reached our, our goals, our expected goals. Uh, we did get better in, in, in this area. Um, but again, you know, we still got plenty to improve on. We've been in a position that we've been able to go to Holland with a, an identification tour of the Australian players that are based overseas. We have now a lot more players on our radar, a lot more knowledge of what those players are doing, both at, at, at club level uh, and, and who they're training with. And so now we're in a, a very good position, um, reselection, uh, much more knowledgeable to make good decisions in regards to who we look to select for the for the next um, for the next camp, and uh, able to get um, uh, good feedback and 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 vision of of a number of these boys that are both home and away now. Questions, um, Adam. And Gary, do you have post-game analysis with players before leaving the stadium? No, no. not before. Not before the st- no. we leave the stadium. But when we get back, it, we depending on the time of the game, we'll either review that. Actually, we won't review it that day. We'll review it the next day. It, it, um, it really depends. It's usually a good twenty-four hours, probably to the next game. But, yeah, yeah. yeah. The, the other part that you have to be careful with is, as you can see, preview, review, review, preview, uh, all the rest of it. At times, you need to combine your preview and your review together, so that you're not doing so many so many meetings. 
that you <laughs> hold on, I've got fired out. Um, that you you're in a position where you can't do that many meetings with the uh, with with the players, and you have to be very selective of when you're doing that, and you need to be um, be aware of um, the amount of meetings that you're doing um, because that can be very draining for for the players, uh, an overload, a, a huge overload. Uh, um, for, for, for them to, to cope with, especially when they're not used to it, possibly with their clubs. So we're very, very mindful of that. And again, talking to the, the leadership group about how that's going from the perspective of meetings and things of that nature, we get good, good feedback from them. So if I can just jump in there, Glenn. So um, usually the first thing that players will, will receive is we try and uh, upload the game to huddle as soon as possible. So it's usually if we play a night game, it can usually be that night come midnight, 1am, or it might be the next morning. And then usually players will actually watch the game themselves if they, if they want to on huddle um, in camp, depending on how good the internet is in the hotel and on those factors before we actually watch it with them in a, in a review meeting. So we try and give the players the whole game. They can watch whatever they want. And then we specifically choose what we want them to see and then lead into the preview of the next game. No worries. Uh, last question because we're starting to get a few people starting to leave for dinner, obviously. Um, do player from Pollard Ryan, welcome Pollard, do players have any agency over the discussions during your half-time break? Sorry, what was the question? Do the players have any agency over the discussion? Does it all come from the coaches or do the players have input into the discussions? Yeah, the, the players have, once we've reviewed the, the, the clips of what we've done, we obviously talk to the players. And, and to get their understanding in that moment. Because as, as the clip is being played, we're, we're, we're basically saying, well, we feel that this is, you know, a, a better solution or this is well done or whatever it might be. They may be able to then come up with something and say, yeah, but when this is occurring, X, Y, and Z is happening, okay? So it's, it's not a sermon. It's definitely a case that uh, they, they um, can talk. And in particular, after the um, video has occurred, we have that five-minute window of where they can come up and start talking to coaches individually. Um, some players are not comfortable in asking a question, especially at this age, in regards to in front of the whole group as well. So that's why you give that window at the end um, and, and we, we make sure that they have got that uh, window to be able to ask uh, questions as well. Now, that's, uh, that's the final question uh, to Gary and Adam. Um, thank you very much for your presentation tonight on your insights. Uh, we had 2.7 thousand reaches on Facebook tonight, so certainly a lot of people taking a great uh, deal of interest in, in your discussion. And uh, all the best uh, to you both as we come out of COVID and uh, all the best for the championships uh, for whenever they're held. Are there, do you have any idea, Gary? Obviously, overseas at the moment, uh, no, no real insights. No, the, the draw is happening in June, but uh, we don't know um, what's going to happen as far as the tournament's concerned and the tournament's in Uzbekistan. Uh, all the best to you there. Thanks again, Gary and Adam. My pleasure. I hope you got something out of it. Thanks again.